welcome everybody, and it's great to see you guys this weekend at Grace, and welcome everybody online and at the Montrose Building. Thanks for uh, for joining in. Uh, I love uh, all those uh, those reflections back on 2021, and I love seeing what God has done. I love seeing. Uh, what what like faithful followers of Jesus, what we get to be a part of, and then how God uses that in the lives of other people. And I, I hope you get excited about that. I, I hope that you see that like that all the the time, the money, the investments that we make kind of collectively as a church, like God uses that stuff and he uses it uh, in in people's lives eternally. And it's just so much fun to, to look at that and to be a part of it. So thank you for that. And thank you for your faithfulness with it. And, uh, and I'm grateful, honestly, grateful that we can do that together. So it's a blast. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you tonight about the next kind of step in the series that we're in. So we've started this series a couple, um, couple weeks ago called How It Started, How It's Going. And uh, what we've been doing is just looking at kind of Jesus's public rollout of his life and, and his ministry. And just looking at kind of like how it all started and what he was doing and trying to, trying to understand like his heart and his mind and all of that. And then look at how that kind of shows up in our lives as, as we go forward. And what we've kind of discovered so far is that as Jesus was kind of publicly rolling out his, miss- his uh, message and his mission, that it caused some waves, right? That, that, that kind of the people on this side were frustrated and tense about that. The people on that side were frustrated and tense about that. But Jesus was like, I, I came to do what I came to do. And I didn't come so that you could make me like you. I came to help you be like me. And when he kind of came forward and started that conversation, and we've been looking at this account of it in the book of Luke, uh, this was the statement that kind of set everybody off. He said, Jesus said, the spirit of God is upon me for he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. And when these guys realized that he didn't come to affirm their self-righteousness and these guys realized that he didn't come to affirm this like whatever life they wanted to live, that he came to be the Messiah, the Savior, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And that was a different path than either side had kind of thought or anticipated. Uh, tensions rose real quick and, uh, and things kind of got heated. And we said, like, that's kind of the same thing that happens today. Like, we, we have to engage Jesus for who he is. Because who he is is wonderful and who he is is mind-boggling. And who he is is incredible. And it's usually not who we thought he was going to be. And he's usually not going to do things that we thought he was going to do. And oftentimes he's not going to do things in the way that, that we think he might do it. So having those conversations, they're on the website, they're on the app, they're on the, the podcast. You can check all those things out and kind of catch up to speed if you want to. Uh, this weekend what I want to do is, is I want to talk about something else that Jesus was doing for the first time. So he's kind of rolling out who he is, his message, his life, and his ministry. And in the process of, of doing that, a part of what he's doing is he's rolling out the method in which his message is going to be delivered. So he's setting up kind of a structure. He's setting up a, a method. 
And as he speaks these truths and lives these li- his life and people are seeing his example and his miracles and all this stuff that is Jesus, as he's doing all those things in front of them, he's also setting up a structure so that that message, the message of his life, the message of his teaching, the truth of who he is, can be perpetuated over time and history. And he kind of builds in these mechanisms, so to say, that, that this message can go forward with. Now, what he chooses to do is a little bit mind-boggling. It's not what I would have chose to do, but he didn't call. I could have helped him, but he didn't call and walk it through with me. What he chooses to do, this, this method of delivery, is pretty weird. It's pretty weird what he chooses to do. Uh, it's very unconventional. It would have really gone across kind of against the, the thought process of the day. And I would argue it goes uh, against like a lot of our thought processes, how we would do things. And then it's, it's just packed full of flaws and weaknesses and like potential breakdowns, right? It's just, in my opinion, it's just not a good idea what he did. And that's what I would think about it. But when we look back, like we have these 2,000 years of history now, you, you look back and you're like, it worked. Like what his plan, his mechanism, like worked. So whatever Jesus was thinking was right, of course, and we have to get our head around this because we're going to have issues with it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see the problems with it. We're going to see the flaws in it. They're pretty obvious. They're not hard to, to pick out. But we also have to look back and say, why would you do this? And then look back and say, oh, I see what you did. And it, it's apparently the most effective way. But why did you do it that way? Okay, so what, what did he do? What was this mechanism that he picked? I wrote it this way. What Jesus decided to do to deliver his message, to get his message out globally and over space and time is he, said, is he did this. He decided to entrust his perfect message to imperfect people. And he looked and said, you know the way we're going to do this? Instead of me like showing up into everybody's like living room personally and instructing you, or instead of me staying on planet Earth for the rest of time so that everybody can interact with me if they want to interact with me, here's the plan. The plan is, is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose imperfect people. And by the way, not slightly imperfect people, like very imperfect people, like broken people. I'm gonna choose imperfect people, broken people, and I'm going to trust them with a perfect message. And then I'm gonna look at those people and I'm gonna say, what I want you to do is I want you to communicate this perfect message imperfectly to other imperfect people. And then I'm gonna gather you guys and I'm gonna create what's called a church and it's going to be full of really screwed up people. And you're going to have the perfect message. And you're going to communicate it to imperfect people. And that's the plan. Right? And it's a horrible plan. Like I, I would never have chosen this plan. But Jesus did. And it's fascinating when you start understanding what the plan was and why he designed it that way. Of course, you start to see the wisdom and the brilliance of it. Right? So... This all starts here. We've been kind of studying like Jesus' early ministry. So this starts there. So as he's coming forward and he's saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I'm King of Kings. 
as he's doing that, he starts to call what we call his disciples. And usually when we think about his disciples, uh, we think about the, the first 12 guys that, that he calls. So his 12 disciples, we'll just look at some of them. And he calls these imperfect people and he's like, I'm going to teach you and I'm gonna show you and you're gonna own this because you're gonna follow me and then you're gonna tell everybody else and I'm gonna like peace out and be back in heaven. Like, that, that's the way that this is, is gonna operate. So you start seeing him do that in the scriptures. If you were kind of following his story kind of chronologically, you would start to see him call these 12 disciples. Now who he calls are great examples of like this weird plan that I would have never picked, right? So I just, I just look at three of them real quick. So one of the guys he calls is this guy named Matthew. So Matthew was a tax collector, okay? And in the, in the ancient Jewish world, they hated tax collectors. So some things never change, right? So like, they hate tax collectors. So what a tax collector was in the Bible Israel was occupied by the Romans and a Jewish tax collector was a turncoat who worked for the Romans. So they would tax the Jewish people, they would take a cut for themselves and then they would give the rest of the money to the Romans. So the Jewish people hated tax collectors. They looked at them and say, you're betraying us, you've turned on us, you rip us off, you lie to us, you're, you're colluding with the enemy. They absolutely hate tax collectors. So Jesus was like, you know, one of the 12 guys that I'm gonna have in my perfect message entrusted to is I'm gonna have it entrusted to a Jewish person. Jesus said, I came to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. So the very people that I want to hear my message, the Jewish people, I'm gonna have a guy that they hate tell them about me. That's a terrible plan, in my opinion, right? But that, he's like, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pick that one. There's all kinds of guys that they could have picked. But he's like, no, I'm going I'm to make sure I have one of the guys that everybody, in fact, the other 11 disciples probably hate him too. But I'm going to pick that guy. Another guy that he picks, is, this is one of the big ones, is a guy named Peter. So Peter is like a major disciple, headed up the church in Jerusalem after Jesus went back to heaven. Like big, big deal. And Peter was an interesting guy. So Peter was a small business owner. He owned a, a small little fishing company, worked for himself. He was a fisherman. And, and you might look and say, well, that makes sense. You know, he's got some savvy, little entrepreneurial. He, he did pretty well. The Bible says he had a large house. Like, so he did pretty well for himself. But when you look at Peter's story, Peter was like a little bit of a disaster. So like Peter had a rebellious streak in him. So if you told Peter to go right, he'd turn left just because you told him to go right. So he's like, I don't want to do that. He was a bit of a hothead. Like he, he was kind of known for like losing his cool once in a while. And then later on, when Jesus was in the process of being crucified, Peter's the one that denied him three times. He like totally chickened out. And after Jesus rose again from the dead, he found Peter. He's like, you know what? I forgive you, and you're going to be a major focal point for my message going to all the people, all the, all the place, right? If I was Jesus, I'd been like, I forgive you. I tell you what, I won't deep fry you, and we're done. <laughs> like, you really didn't show up when I needed you to show up. But Jesus was like, nope, I'm going with Peter. And then there's two other guys, James and John. 
They, they were um, brothers. James and John, what are they like? Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. I'm like, what do you have to be like for Jesus to nickname you the sons of thunder, right? And, and I could go on. But these are, his, these are his guys. He's like, yeah, you're my guys. That's who I'm going to go with. And, and the Bible says they were unschooled, ordinary men. So they, they did not have PhDs. They didn't have a ton of money. They weren't in places of power. But he's like, I'm, this is my team. And I'm going to go with my team. And, and I'm going to take my perfect message and I'm going to entrust it to these imperfect people. And then I'm going to look at these, perf- these imperfect people and say, you guys go tell everybody. That, that's my plan, right? It's a terrible plan on the surface. But Jesus understood something that I, did, I wouldn't have understood. And he knew something about how to move his message forward that I wouldn't have really understood, right? Now, why did he do this? This is, this is part of it. When you look at what Jesus did, this is what you see pretty quickly. You see that Jesus was looking for people who were willing, not people who were qualified. And that's a fascinating distinction. He was looking for people who were willing, not people who were qualified. So the Bible says that God looks on the heart. So God looks on the heart. And he looked at these guys and he said, you know what, I see your heart. I see that you truly have repented of your sins. I see that you really do believe that I'm the son of God and the, and the, the Messiah, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And I see that you want to love me and follow me. I see that you're willing and that's what I care about. I don't care that you're qualified because these guys actually weren't very good at this. When, when you read the story of these 12 disciples, uh, as you go through it, you'll see pretty quickly, like, they really struggled to understand Jesus' teachings. There, there's all kinds of examples throughout Jesus' life where the, he'll say something, and the disciples are like, what are you, what's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. And there's other times, like, they try to fake it. And like, oh, yeah. They nod their head like they know, and Jesus is like, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? So they struggled to understand him. They often lacked faith. Like, they, they kind of forgot they were with God, and they would do that quite a bit. They struggled to love certain peoples. They had certain prejudice and, and biases in their life. And they really struggled to love certain people. They were kind of competitive with each other. And so it, it wasn't unlike them to be jockeying for position. They sometimes were self-serving. They, they were often controlled by fear. In fact, when, when Jesus was crucified, most of them ran away and disappeared and hid so these guys, these guys are like not awesome and they don't know the Bible and they don't know anything about church and they really don't know much about Jesus. But they decided to follow him. And when he said, this is who I actually am and this is the stuff that I came to do, they looked and said, you really are the son of God and we're in. And we don't really know what we're doing but we're willing to learn and we're willing to follow you. And somehow, that was the plan. Like That's what Jesus meant to do. That's what he came to do. And that's the plan that he went with, right? Now, what happens in the Bible a lot is the Bible will say something or Jesus will say or do something 
And then later on in the Bible, God explains it to us a little bit so that we can get our head around it. And this plan is one of those things that God explains to us later on. So later on in the Bible, God talks about this. So we're going to camp here a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, open it there. It's page 924 in the Bible's in the chairs. It's on the app. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God talks a little bit about what he was doing and why he was doing it. So starting in verse 26, this is what God says. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy or of high privilege when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those things they think are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame things that are powerful. He chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So here God is saying, guys, there's a system. There's a system in the world that all of you are used to and the system kind of looks like this. This is verse 26. Remember, few of you were wise in the eyes of the world or powerful or wealthy when God called you. So the writer's looking, he's saying, guys, think about those of you who think of yourselves as followers. Think about where you started. There weren't a lot of you who were wise or wealthy or powerful. There may be a few of you, but there weren't a lot of you who were wise or wealthy or powerful. And in the world system, in the cultural system, the way that you are qualified for something is if you are wise or wealthy or powerful. And the wise and the wealthy and the powerful are the people that we would think of as being qualified to speak a truth, have an insight, or to lead a movement. Now that's how the ancient world works, and our world kind of works that way too. Um, it's it's not good or bad, it just kind of is the way that it, that it works. But in our culture, we would look and say, you should be qualified for something, and there's certain things that you do then that qualify you, right? So if you're gonna be a teacher, you should have an education. And your education qualifies you to teach. Uh, if you're going to be a financial advisor, you should have a certification and your certification would qualify you to teach. If you're gonna be a plumber, you should be a licensed plumber. And your license qualifies you to be an expert in that field. And that's the way that our world works. It works like this one. Some of us are wise, and we're powerful, and we're wealthy, and if you've got a, a sharp brain, and you've got some money, and you've got a position of power, that would seem like you're the one who should be in charge, and you're the one who should be defining what's happening to the rest of us. And we even think that way in our culture right now. Right? That's how we, would, how we would function. There's good to that, there's bad to that. If I'm gonna go have surgery, I want the guy to have a diploma. You know what I'm saying? So that there's good to that, there's bad to that. What God is saying is, you bring that mindset into your relationship with me a lot. So in our relationship with God, we would look and say, I'm not qualified 
well, you, you should share the message of Jesus with people who don't know about Jesus. I haven't taken the classes. And I, mm. you, you should be uh, the spiritual leader of your family. You should disciple your children. I, I didn't grow up in the church. You should engage the needs of people, the poor, those who are oppressed, those who are captive. I don't, I don't have that kind of money. Right? You, should, you should think about making the gospel move and sharing the gospel and being a part of a major movement. I don't sit in a place of power. I'm like kind of just me and like I heard Jesus loves me and will forgive me and like I'm taking him on that. Everything else seems like maybe it's over my head because of my past because of my present, because of my upbringing, because for whatever reason, I would look and say, I feel underqualified to do what God has asked me to do. Now, these are the exact kind of people that Jesus called to be his first disciples. They have no idea what they're doing. They know a little bit about the Bible. They have a past. They, they, they don't really know Jesus. They're figuring that out as they go. And yet the whole message and the whole understanding of who Jesus is and why he came gets left with them to tell other people. So God, here in Corinthians, will push into that and say, if you think like this, you're not thinking like me. And if Jesus was talking here, Jesus would be like, I don't, I don't think like that at all. Because none of these guys may, would make the cut. If it was about power, wisdom, and wealth. Not, and very few of you later on would make it. So I think differently about you. And I think differently about how my message will move. Right. So next verse, God says this. God says, instead... Instead of that mindset, instead, God does the opposite of that. He chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So God, God didn't like accidentally bump into Matthew, Peter, James, John, and it's like, yeah, I don't know, they're the only people that would hang out with me. He didn't work that way. He didn't accidentally leave, yeah, I guess you guys are my disciples. Somebody write some stuff down and start telling people. This was not happenstance. This was deliberate decisions by God an intentional plan to move his perfect message through imperfect people, underqualified people. And God looked at these people and he said, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to do it with. And I want my church and my message to be spread in that way. Right? Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Because if I bring in, as a present day follower of Jesus, if I bring in the mindset 
that I have to be qualified, if I have that mindset that I, I haven't hit the standard yet, I don't know yet, what I will do is I will allow my spiritual insecurities, my spiritual inexperience, and my spiritual uncertainties to remove me from the work that God called me to do. If I can move past that mindset and I can understand that I am chosen by God, that I didn't just stumble into God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, that I didn't, like I didn't, I'm not like following Jesus by the skin of my teeth, he's gonna kick me off the team at any minute. That I, I'm the I'm the spiritual ugly duckling that God like my past and my shame and my guilt and what I did and I just kind of sit here and I'm kind of glad that I got invited. If I can move past this idea that I'm underqualified and realize here's the here's the kicker that everybody is that an imperfect message. A perfect message has been entrusted to imperfect people. So we're all underqualified. But as a Christ follower, I'm chosen by God. I'm chosen by God to teach a truth, to give a message that goes against the grain of our world. If I can make that transition, it's unbelievable what God can do through me. Now, let me give you a couple examples of this. So God would say things like, um, we need to care for the poor. We need to care for the poor, right? And so every book of the Bible says that we need to care for the poor, by the way. And so we, we need to care for the poor. If I be- feel that I'm underqualified for that because I bring in a cultural mindset, poverty, man, woo, poverty, like, I don't know, like, how do you solve the, the, the root causes of poverty? By the way, Jesus says, you never will. He says, the poor will always be with you. So, like, but what do I do about it? And what we would tend to think is this. There must be an expert. There must be an expert. And they're looking at communities and they're looking at poverty and they're coming up with solutions to solve poverty. The government must be on it somehow. The government, there's programs, the government must be on it somehow. Or the wealthy, like Bill Gates needs to do something about poverty, right? Over here, if I have that mindset, because that's the way that we would think, I would look and say, I'm not an expert, I'm not wise, I'm not a government official, I'm not powerful, and I don't have any money. Therefore, God cannot use me. He cannot use me because I'm not these things. If I can make this shift that I'm underqualified, but I'm chosen. So God chose me. He says if he chose me, he'll empower me. And then he would empower me to do something about poverty as an example. So I know a lady in Philadelphia and she lives in the row houses in Philadelphia and, and uh, in a neighborhood that's one of the poorest neighborhoods on the East Coast. And she, one summer, noticed that when the kids aren't in school, 
they don't get to eat. So they're not going to school and getting like school lunch programs. It's the summertime. And so she noticed that all these little kids are running around her poor neighborhood and they don't have any food. So she looked and said, what do I do about this? I, I don't have power. I don't have money. And I don't know how to solve the systemic reasons for poverty. But I'm chosen by God. I'm chosen by God. So what she did was, she went to Aldi's, and she got the biggest tub of peanut butter she could find, and she bought white bread, which is the cheapest bread that you can get. And every day at lunchtime, she would sit on the steps of her row house, and she would make peanut butter sandwiches and give them to hungry kids. Because she was chosen. She was chosen. Totally underqualified. But chosen. Those kids were in her life. Jesus placed her there to make his message make sense. And the way that you make Jesus make sense to a hungry kid is you put a sandwich in their belly. And Jesus heard your prayers. Jesus sees your need. I got peanut butter. And she didn't allow herself to be talked out of. I know a guy who didn't grow up in the church, didn't know the Bible at all, um, and was dyslexic. And when he was in, in his 30s, after a tragedy in his life, he accepted Jesus, became a Christ follower. And he started following Jesus. Totally willing, completely underqualified. With church, pastor said, if you're a husband and a dad, you should be the spiritual leader of your home. Never saw anybody lead spiritually in his home. Didn't really know what it meant. But he's like, I'm willing. But I don't know how to do it. So what he would do is he would come and kneel by his kid's bed every night and he would say a, re, a memorized prayer with them. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray to the Lord, my soul to take. God bless grandma, grandpa, my brothers and sisters. Every night. He would have family devotions at the table. And he would get out the old King James Bible and he would read it. So this dyslexic man would read the old English. Imagine how painful this was. Right, But he's like, I don't know what else to do. I'm supposed to leave my home. Pastor reads the Bible. I guess I'll read the Bible. Right? No education. No Bible degree. No background. Right? But chosen. Chosen. And my dad would just do that with us every night. Every night. Right? And Jesus would look at my dad or this lady in Philadelphia or you, me, and he'd say, yeah, that's, that's the plan. And we would look back at him and say, that's a terrible plan. And he would say, you're thinking about it wrong. Because you think you need to be qualified you think you need money, you think you need power, 
you think you need an education. You just need me. And I chose you. I see in you what you don't see. You see a past you're ashamed of. I see pain that you can redeem. You see embarrassment. I see life change. You see a lack of understanding. I don't know the Bible, I don't know. I see a willing heart. And I chose you to come and follow me. When Jesus was choosing those disciples, he said something really interesting to them. So Peter and James John, like some of these guys are all fish, a bunch of them were fishermen, right? So he's walking along the sea of the, the shore of the sea one day. He looks at these guys and he says, he says, uh, I want you to follow me. Right? But the way he says it is fascinating. He says this in Matthew chapter four. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Ready? This is the this is the, the whole thing. Ready? Come follow me. I don't know how. I know that. I, I don't have any power. I got plenty. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any money. Well, I'm your provider. I don't have a pedigree. I didn't ask. I, don't, I have a past. Yeah, I know. Come follow me and I will show you. Don't worry about being qualified. Don't set up these false things in your mind where you look and say, I don't know enough. I haven't achieved enough. I haven't followed long enough. I can't give enough. I'm not gifted in this way. I'm not gifted in that way. I, da, da, da. Jesus says, no, no, no. no you, that's, just come follow me and I will show you. I don't know how to be the spiritual leader of my home. Just Clarence, come follow me. Pray that same prayer with your kids every night and stumble through the Bible. I'll show you. Because they're they're not really gonna care how well you did, they're gonna care that you did. I'll show you. Come follow me. I don't know what to do about poverty. Eh, I'll show you. Can you afford peanut butter? See how it works? And God would look at every one of us the way that he looked at those disciples. These guys, these guys were not the cream of the crop. That's not what set them apart. They were just willing to follow. And Jesus looked at them and said, that's, that's the big thing. I'll show you everything else. I'll provide for you. I'll empower you. I'll do the work for you. In fact, so much so that when people talk about what you did, they'll actually just talk about me. And guys, that's been the plan from the get-go. So how did it start? It started like that. How's it going? Actually pretty well, if people follow. But from these 12 dysfunctional people, and then Judas took his life and got out of the, the, the Apostle Paul, and he was a murderer. I mean, they, these are not the top of the list. None of these guys could get a job at Grace Church. They'd never pass the background check. 
Right? But from that, the message of Jesus has crossed the globe. The hope of Jesus has, has cut through all time. It's moved through all cultures. The, the, the work of Jesus is actually growing faster today than it ever has in history. You look at where the church is growing in Iran, in the Middle East, South America, and China, it's exploding. And Jesus in his wisdom is like, that's the plan. What you would look at, Jeff, if I, if you, if I had called you, Jeff, you would have been like, no, that's not the way to do it. What you look at as wise, I'm like, eh. And I'm just going to take ordinary, uneducated people. That's what somebody called Peter. It's ordinary, uneducated guys that follow me. Right? So you have a past. You have moments in your life that you are ashamed of. You have regret, you have guilt, you have insecurities, you have weaknesses, you have blank spots in your understanding of theology and doctrine. You have habitual sin. You have tensions in your relationships and in your families. You have fears and anxieties. You're just the kind of person Jesus is looking for. And the question is, will you come follow me? And when the answer is yes, I'll show you how. I'll show you how. And we'll take that journey together. And somehow, and I'm not even sure I can understand it, Somehow, when his perfect message changes the life of an imperfect person, it amplifies his message. And it's how Jesus, ready? This is huge, ready? It's how Jesus chose to do it. He chose you. He chose the imperfect. He chose humanity. So come follow me, and I will show you how. Right? How to tell the world about who I am and my love for them. Okay? All right. The band's going to come out, and uh, they'll have to move the stage here a little bit, but maybe can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute while they settle in? And here's my question for you. Do you see yourself the way Jesus sees you? Right, I, I really think in this day of self-esteem and self-truth and self-love, and I really believe that even in all of that, when most people look in the mirror, what they see is their failures and insecurities. We see everything wrong with us in all the ways that we're underqualified. And you know what? 
Ready? Listen close. That's what we should see. We're underqualified. We can't measure up. We aren't good enough. And we should see that. And we should gaze in that mirror a little bit longer and say, but we are loved. We are redeemed. We are changed. We are not condemned. We are chosen. And it doesn't make sense, and that's really God's issue, but it's his plan. It's always been his plan. It's nothing new. We're just the next round of disciples. We're chosen. And from that place of love, and from that place of calling, we then go and make Jesus make sense. Sometimes we do that in really big and expensive ways, and sometimes we do that with a tub of peanut butter and a really bad Bible study at dinner with a dad who struggles to read. But when we follow, he shows us, and it works. It worked in your life. It worked in my life. Jesus, would you help us to have your heart to see what you did and what you did for us and then just to do that, Lord, simple, uncomplicated, true, just follow you and to love like you loved us. So Holy Spirit, would you empower your word and push into our hearts right now and let us see ourselves the way that we are seen by our loving God. We are sinful and broken. We do have a past. We did live in shame. And when we came to you and accepted your invitation and were chosen by you, all that was erased. So God, let us live in what you chose us for and to love people from that place. In these moments, God, would you help us? Would you show us? Would you help us to follow you?